Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring the Donovan Frito Show. The Donovan Frito Show. You can call the show at 786-828-7068. You can follow along on Twitter at Alex Dono and at Josh Friedman. Live from Little Havana, this is the Dono and Frito Show. Yes! Oh, it is. It is! Another episode of the Dono and Frito Show here on Sirius XM Slam Radio. Alex Dono alongside Josh Friedman. I hope everyone had happy holidays, a happy new year. You know, 2021 is already off to a bit of an odd start. Hopefully everyone is uh, keeping sane and keeping safe out there. Frito, how you been, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. You know, hopefully 2020 is in our rearview mirror. Everybody, as you say, is staying safe. And, uh, you know, we we get a good uh, good start to 2021. Yeah, and 2021 hopefully is going to be a good year for my Miami Dolphins coming up. I mean, even though they missed the playoffs, uh, you know, they they couldn't beat the Bills in their final game. They didn't get the help they needed around the NFL to sneak in with a 10 and 6 record. And now we're looking ahead towards free agency, which op- which opens up in a couple of months, the NFL draft, which is a little over 3 months away. And I I think one of the Big questions, Frito, and there are a lot of layers to this, is how the Dolphins approach the third overall pick. Right now, on Tuesday, Dolphins general manager Chris Greer did make an endorsement for Tua Tongo-Vailoa as the starting quarterback. Now, if you really want to uh, put the microscope on those words, you know, maybe in him saying Tua Tongo-Vailoa is the starting quarterback, Does that mean today? Does that really mean six months from now? Um, Now, I I am certainly a proponent of giving to another full year of evaluation with more weapons on the offense. I'm not advocating to replace him. But Frito, I'm wondering your take. Dolphins are going to have the third overall pick in this draft, courtesy of the Houston Texans, whose pick that they own. Um, You're going to expect that very well, Justin Fields could be on the table there at number three. Zach Wilson from BYU, yeah. who's also excellent, is going to be on the table there. Would the Dolphins actually consider? Definitely one of those two. Yeah, at least one. At least one of those two. At least one of those two. How about I mean, Devontae Smith? I like him a lot. I, I like I like him a lot, and I actually I also really like Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU. I think he's got a little bit more size than Devontae Smith. But you know, you're, you're talking to, and 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 also um, an offensive lineman could be available at that spot. Uh, Penny Suell from Oregon, who looks like an absolute beast, an absolute man child. So, what would you be thinking there, Frito? Is it really quarterback out of the question, or when you weigh those options, what would you go with if you were Chris Greer? I want to really get into this. I hope we talk about this for a while. Oh, um, yeah. First of all, um, what's Greer going to say? He's not going to say anything else but to a guy. And I'm not blaming Chris Greer. I'm not saying he's a liar or anything. But if you're Chris Greer, you know, if Alex Dono was GM of the Miami Dolphins, guess what? You'd say two is my guy. Of course you would. First of all, if you have any inkling of trading him, you're not going to say, geez, I can't wait to, to put this guy in a different uniform. You know, because his trade value is going to go down. 
Um, you know, look, two had ups and downs, but I was just amazed. And, and again, I hopefully we delve into this a while. This is oh, just yeah. one thing. I was just amazed, Dono, at the number of people on social media, just fans, Graham, that, and I'm not degrading them, that want to get rid of this guy that are just so, I mean, he's a rookie quarterback who started, what, 10 games, maybe? 10 games, that's nothing. I mean, and I'm not comparing him to these guys. Peyton Manning, excuse the expression, I'm borrowing from Boog, the new Cubs announcer, by the way. Uh, very happy about that. Um, you know, he, he, he laid a turd, you know, his rookie <laughs> year. So did Troy Aikman. They stunk those guys. And it, they, they always say this is the hardest position in sports. What are you expecting him to do? I mean, yes, you see, the problem with this is he's forever going to be compared to Justin Herbert because he was picked right behind him by San Diego at number six. And Herbert had a terrific season for the San Diego Chargers or for the L- L- LA Chargers. Um, you know, he had a great year and, you know, through a rookie record for touchdown passes. Okay, but he's an, anom- an anomaly. His season is an anomaly. I, I look, two at times looked very good. Other times he looked like a rookie quarterback. And the fact that people are ready to give up on him so quickly um, just astounds me. I mean, yes, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, one of them is going to be there. We know that barring anything unforeseen or any injury, that Trevor Lawrence is going number one to Jacksonville. Um, Wilson's going to be there. Fields will be there. Smith will be there. Uh, is it Sewell? Penny Sewell? Is that his name? Uh, yeah. The offensive line, the left tackle. But if mm-hmm. the Dolphins pick him, you're going to have Dolphins fans have like acid flashbacks to, to Jake Long picking him over uh, Matt Ryan. You know, and they're going to just go, oh my God, I thought I've seen this movie before. Look what happened. <laughs> um, and left tackle. Well, first of all, if Tua is your quarterback, if they're married to Tua, why are you going to pick a left tackle? Yeah, he, he, right he tackle. would he, he would play right tackle. I, I think is what they would have to do. Like, like yeah, I, and I think he can. Well, pick, but you know, I, he would it, play right tackle. All right, but I just I just think that it'd be nice to get him, you know, a weapon, another weapon right there. You know, Devontae Smith or something. If 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 they decide to go another direction from two, first, okay, let's start it this way. I think they should keep him. I don't know all the ins and outs of Tua. They saw him every day. We do have to remember, though, if, if people are saying, oh, he had a lousy rookie year, he had no OTAs, he had no minicamp, COVID very much affected his development and the, the practice habits of every player in the NFL. So there's, there's a, a, you know, a kind of a check mark right there, a little warning saying, look, he didn't get a chance to fully develop. Now, that affected everybody in the NFL, but he's one of them. It affected him as well. Well, here's the difference. It didn't even affect him the same way because, yeah, Justin Herbert, sure, also had no OTAs, no minicamp. But Justin Herbert was not rehabbing from hip surgery. Tua Tungo-Vailoa was. So Tua, so Tua, yeah, I mean, he, he was technically healthy uh, to at least participate in training camp, but he was still going through a rehab process. He wasn't, you know, going 100% mm-hmm. in camp. He was being held back. So it's not even uh, so. So the comparisons there, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's it's not even the same. Um, I you know I I agree with you in in getting him a weapon. Um, people do get way too irrational about Tua's first year. I think there's a couple reasons for that. One of those you hit it out of the park that he's always going to be compared with Justin Herbert. Well, how come Herbert, always. who was drafted 
one spot behind him. How come he put up all these numbers and he looked comfortable throwing downfield all season long? Tua's going to get compared to that, unfortunately, for Tua. You know, of course, the other thing is there were so much higher expectations for Tua. You know, being a national sure. title winner, coming out of Alabama, playing so many games on national TV, being being a name that was in the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> fan conversation for over a year because sorry about Wrigley here oh no worries I, I'm, I'm glad Wrigley could take part in the show as well for, for I'll use him while you talk so yeah for well over a year you know Dolphin fans um you know were were saying tank for Tua and, and I think that that put a little bit of extra expectation on him certainly and there's no reason for Dolphins fans or for anyone because honestly sometimes it's the national talking heads that I think freak out about Tua even more than the Dolphins fans do there's certainly a sector of Dolphins fans who you know are maybe worried about Tua but I, I think it's really a lot of folks from the outside because I I talk to a lot of people from other parts of the country that aren't necessarily watching Dolphins games week after week uh, but they're watching highlights they're reading game summaries and what they always throw at me when they're downplaying to his rookie season, they're saying, wait, if you think this guy is good, how come he gets benched twice? Like how come he keeps getting benched? How come Ryan Fitzpatrick had to come in and be the closer on two separate occasions that they, they look at that, which listen, it, it's valid. He wasn't playing well in the Denver game before he got benched. He wasn't playing particularly well in the Vegas Raiders game before he got benched. So, but they see that. And they don't pay any attention to the fact that for two straight weeks, he was named Pepsi Rookie of the Week. And he had some good games this year. He played incredible against Arizona in a comeback victory. He played incredibly well against Kansas City. And yeah, the Dolphins lost that game. But, you know, listen, that certainly wasn't Tua's fault. And for all the Los Angeles Chargers who prop up their guy who went less than 500 this year, if you can celebrate your quarterback's numbers without victories, then I should be able to celebrate the performance that had Tua had against Kansas City, even though the Dolphins lost that game. So he did have some good, uh, some good games this season. And as far as rookies go, okay, um, so many more rookies over the last 10 years start in their rookie seasons so fans don't have as much patience as they used to because you know 15 20 years ago we all remember when a team drafted a rookie quarterback ideally you would want that quarterback to sit and learn behind a veteran for a year or two that used to be the way that it went but you know around the time that Andrew Luck got drafted and even you know our guy Ryan Tannehill got a chance to start his rookie year usually rookies now take over in the first season so there's not a lot of patience but if you're looking at rookies who went on to be great quarterbacks after struggling their rookie seasons, you know, an example we bring up all the time back in the late nineties, Peyton Manning was sloppy as hell. His rookie year, 26 touchdowns, 28 interceptions in his rookie season, right? You might've thought, Ooh, I don't know if this Manning kid really has it. He's a, he's a gunslinger. He's not careful. He's not accurate. Uh, and I'll give you a more recent example uh, because this is a quarterback who's now made himself an MVP candidate, and he may be on the best team in the NFL, believe it or not. I'm talking about Josh Allen in Buffalo. Josh Allen now in his third year has gotten his completion percentage to 69 point uh, some percent, nearly 70 percent. When this guy was a rookie, Frito, inaccurate, 52 percent passer. He was an athlete. But his uh, when, when he would throw long balls, they would go all over the place. Some of them went in the fifth row. Some of them went out of bounds. Not an accurate quarterback. 
I, I always thought accuracy was one thing you couldn't really teach a quarterback. Well, someone taught Josh Allen because he goes from 52% his rookie year to nearly 70% in his third year. He's made himself an MVP candidate. If you can see improvement like this in, you know, rookie quarterbacks who didn't look good their first year, who become great within a couple of years, uh, there's certainly hope for Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And with Tua Tonga-Vailoa, one of the things that I've seen is receivers dropping passes, 12 drops in that Buffalo game. 12 drops and yeah he's throwing footballs because of injuries because of covid he's been throwing footballs to people like mac hollins and lynn Bowden jr when you know he should have been throwing footballs at least more consistently to Devonte parker who did play last week but he missed some time you know to preston williams who who has been injured to albert wilson who opted out of the season because of covid and even if he had the full complement of those healthy receivers they're still not that great that's why we're talking about drafting somebody like a Devonte smith or a jamar chase because he needs more weapons Justin Field, or sorry, Justin Herbert has more weapons in Los Angeles or San Diego, wherever the hell they play, than Tua Tonga-Vailoa has right now. He needs more weapons, Frito. Unmute, unmute. There we go. That was the, there we go. Called the Wrigley mute. <laughs> um. Let, let, let's go down this road for a second. Suppose they decide Chris Greer and his lieutenants and Brian Flores, they're all meeting. They can hopefully wearing masks. Um, if they decide, all right, let's go in a different direction. Despite what we said to the media, we don't think he's our guy. Well, then if you're Chris Greer, the head of college scouting and everybody who's in that room, when it's decided before the draft, Two is our guy. If he's there at number five, we're not going to trade up. But if he's there at number five, he's the highest guy on our draft board. We're going to go get him. You, if you decide to go in a different direction, you've got to do some serious due diligence. And I can remember being a reporter and asking questions like this. You know, if somebody would, uh, oh, like the Marlins, they kept going through. And then and, and there's, there's an analogy, you know, there's a similarity here they kept going through managers and they kept keeping the front office. And I can remember asking Mike Hill and David Sampson, what are you going to do differently? Or even, even Stephen Ross, I think I asked him this because they were going through, you know, uh, Tony Sperano, Spir want to say Soprano, Tony Sperano, Joe Philbin, Adam Gase. And finally they clicked on Brian Flores. And I can remember asking him, now I wasn't there when Flores was hired, but you know, asking Ross or the Marlins front office, what, what have you learned from previous hires? Your due diligence was obviously off when you picked these guys because you got rid of them in less than four years. What have you learned? What, where was the, the faulty evaluation of these guys that made you get rid of them so quickly? I'm arresting David Sampson and Mike Hill. How many chances do you guys get? You keep pointing the finger at the front office and or at the at the managers, you know, in the dugout, saying he's the one to blame for our problems. But you're the guys that keep picking the managers. What are you doing wrong? So your decision making, your evaluation is flawed. So now let's circle around to the Dolphins. If they decide to go in a different direction, I'd say, all right, it's 12 months later. Hmm. What did you do wrong? What did you see that was wrong in your evaluation? Of Tua, 
And, you know, and I'm going to go, if he doesn't live up to expectations, to that ceiling that they have for him, and, and you could say this about any sport, but I covered baseball for a long time. Sorry, Wrigley is uh, going crazy here. Um, but there are two, de- you know, two departments in a baseball team are scouting and player development. And if a, if a, if a, if a prospect doesn't do well enough, you're going to see the scouting department say, we picked the right guy. You're the ones in development that didn't develop. And you didn't coach him up. You didn't get him through the minors properly and make him ready for the major league team. And the development guy said, no, 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 no. We coached him fine. We coached him as best we could. You picked the wrong guy. Your evaluation was wrong in picking this guy. Well, if the Dolphins decide to go in a different direction, as, as good as Flores is as a staff, did they not properly develop him? Is it, was Chan Gailey, who's now gone, was he part of the problem? Was it just simply an over-evaluation by the, by the you know, Dolphins front office? Should they have gone to Justin Herbert? What these questions are only relevant if they decide to go in a different direction. But if they do, somewhere along the line, something or more than one thing was flawed, and they have to figure out what that was. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and it, not only is it a failure in all of those things, right? Whether it be evaluation or development or a miscalculation and and how really ready he was to play, which I guess ties into the evaluation element of it. Um, then I think it, it's also really uh, a failure in patience and a panic move because, and to be fair, they see more than I see, right? I mean, you know, Brian Flores and the coaching sure, staff, they're the ones going through every practice, right? I, I, I have very limited mm-hmm. tape and reps to judge to a tongue of on compared to what Brian Flores has and what Chan Gailey had before he stepped down and resigned this week. So I'm not making as informed of an opinion as the coaching staff is. I understand that, but uh, I still think that if they were, if they were to hit the eject button after year one, it's not only a failure in everything that you said, but I think it's also a, a panic move and a failure in having enough patience to give him the weapons that he had to succeed. And there is an irony in this conversation. The irony of this conversation is This is a conversation that uh, those of us in South Florida media, whether you're a Dolphins fan like me or or someone who, uh, you know, a a Cowboys fan like Frito, but he watches a ton of Dolphins football and he's covered the team for many years. So so you you have uh, strong, informed opinions on the Dolphins, no doubt about that. Uh, We were having this conversation for six, seven years with Ryan Tannehill. But, you know, eventually, uh, eventually that evaluation jumped the shark. That guy had enough chances, but Tua has not even gone that far. And it's funny that certain Dolphins fans were willing to give Ryan Tannehill seven years and they're not even willing to give Tua yeah, six great. games as a starter, right? That's a great point. They, get, they had enormous patience with Tannehill and, uh, you know, they were picked virtually the same. I mean, Tua was five, Tannehill was eight. So it's not like you can say, oh, Tannehill – you know, with a, a, a fourth rounder, we should have more patience with him than say, you know, a Tua Tagovailoa. But that, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a, a terrific point. Why did they allow so such, uh, you know, long period of time? Getting back to the times that, that Ryan Fitzpatrick came out of the bullpen once he was, you know, once Tua was the starter. To me, and this is a weird way of looking at it, that's almost a compliment to the team. And by that, I mean this. The team was in the playoff hunt, okay? A year ago, we couldn't have imagined that. This was a team that started out 0-7. 
they needed to put Fitzpatrick in because these games were so critical. They needed every victory in order to try to qualify for the postseason. They fell just short of that. Uh, you know, but a 10 and six mark for this team, I think is remarkable. And anybody that criticizes the Dolphins and say, and is disappointed in the season, you're just not paying attention. They, I think, you know, this season, even though they didn't make a playoffs, was a success. If, if this team wasn't in the playoff hunt, I don't think Fitzpatrick comes off the bench. You're going to leave two in there to, to figure it out and learn how to try to get out of tough situations. And even though you're not playing well, maybe, you know, there, there are other ways to help, uh, you know, win the ball game. And it's so I, the, yes, they replaced him, which doesn't look great, but, you know, they did it because they needed the victory because the team itself was succeeding so well. Is that, is that a weird way of looking at it? No, it, it's correct. Um, and, and I was having a, uh, a spirited debate a couple of weeks ago with a Chargers fan, you know, and, and it, it started out with me mocking the fact that Chargers fans are so jazzed up when their team is not good. It, it, that narrative bit me in the face a little bit because, yeah, even though the Dolphins finished three wins better than the Chargers, neither team made the playoffs. So my, uh, my, my, my narrative got bitten a little bit, but I, I was having a discussion with a Chargers fan who was, you know, and, and it was unfair because Frito, the, the discussion was unfair because like he thought I was tearing down uh, Justin Herbert. Uh, I, I was just tearing down Chargers fans for chirping so much, despite at the time being a six win team. Uh, but I've, I've never said I don't think Justin Herbert is good. I've never said I don't think he's having a remarkable season. And then the Chargers, uh, you know, have, have maybe found their quarterback for the next 15 years. Um, but I do take issue with Chargers fans looking at Tua and saying, oh, this guy is terrible. And wow, what a mistake the Dolphins made. Tua's not any good. Tua is a bust. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm having a discussion with this Chargers fan about you know, the whole Fitzpatrick thing and about the whole benching and all that. And your, your point is valid because he kept coming back at me saying that, hey, you know, look, how, how if your guy is even any good, why is he getting benched for Fitzpatrick in all these four quarters, uh, in all these fourth quarters to which, you know, I, I would come back and say that, hey, um, if the Miami Dolphins had the same performance against the New England Patriots that you guys had, where you're getting eventually beat in that game 45 to nothing you don't think if you were in a playoff hunt the way that the Dolphins were in a playoff hunt that you know your guy would have would have gotten pulled so and and you know I I lost you there Frito I see that you're back so let me reiterate some of what I was just saying because I was having a discussion with the Chargers fan about the whole fourth quarter benching thing and he's basically Mm -hmm. making the argument that oh Tua Tonga-Vailoa is terrible because if he wasn't terrible why is he getting benched in the fourth quarters but I, I would come back and say that okay no doubt your guy, Justin Herbert, is having an incredible season. No doubt. I'm not going to tear him down. I'm not going to say he sucks the way you're saying that my guy sucks. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stoop to that low that you're stooping to. But I will tell you that because your team has been out of the playoff hunt for a couple of months, if the if, if you look, because you remember when the Chargers got blown out by the Patriots 45 to nothing, right? Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if the Dolphins were having a game like that, where they're in a playoff hunt, if they're getting blown out by New England, they wouldn't have kept Tua in, or, or if the Chargers were in that situation, I should frame it this way, that if the Chargers were an eight or nine win team at that point, fighting for a playoff spot, and they're getting blown out, blown out by the Patriots, and Justin Herbert is having the worst game of his career, 
they're not going to keep him in all four quarters. Like, right, or around halftime, they're going to say, hey, we still have maybe a chance to salvage this game and keep our playoff hopes alive. We're going to bench our guy. So, yeah, if the Chargers had been in a playoff race the way that the Dolphins were, having a game like they had against New England, since they're not in the playoff hunt, they can look at that and say, you know what? This is going to be a learning experience for Justin Herbert. Let him take his lumps for four quarters. If we if we get blown out 45 to nothing, it's not an ideal situation. It's a humiliation, but it's not, we're not going to really matter at the end of the day because we're not making the playoffs even if we win this game. But if they were in a playoff hunt, yeah, they probably would have benched their guy for a spark at that point. I don't know. I think we may we may have uh, we may have frozen Frito again. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's just the way that I look at it uh, on a Miami Dolphins front. Uh, we're going to take a break here, see if we can regather uh, the connection here in a couple of minutes. So we appreciate everybody stopping by today. This is another episode of the Dono and Frito show. Oh, the Dono and Frito show here on Sirius XM One Forty Five Slam Radio. Welcome back into the Dono and Frito show here on Sirius XM Slam Radio. You know, Frito, getting back into the whole third overall draft pick conversation. Um, one thing about that pick, when we're talking about weapons that might be available, you know, very talented Heisman winning wide receiver out of Alabama, Devontae Smith, yep. Jamar Chase from LSU could also be an option there. Um those are delightful, right? The idea of surrounding Tua with that sort of talent, but right, would but. you would you entertain a trade down? Okay, because sure. even even sure. if the Dolphins uh, at the end of the day are probably not going to draft one of those quarterbacks, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, maybe another team in the draft around the teens, around the twenties, is going to say, you know what, that looks pretty enticing to me. I'm going to offer the Miami Dolphins a bounty of picks to move up. Uh, now Miami is already stacked. Like it's not like they're they're hurting for for more volume in the draft. They do have the third overall pick, the 18th overall pick, which is their own, the 36th overall pick, which is Houston's second rounder, the 50th overall pick, which is their own second rounder. So they got four picks in the top 50, but um, still. Miami's got a lot of needs, and and even though there are a couple of elite weapons that will be available in the top five, if you can get you know maybe a few extra picks uh, within the top two rounds, right? There are going to be lots of weapons you can cherry pick, and lots of ways you can improve your team. Would you entertain a trade down if it came up? Sure, of course I would. I look, I would. You know, obviously they're going to make their big board and do all the evaluation, and they're going to have everybody at, at, that they want to pick except two players, whoever Trevor Lawrence and somebody else is going to. Those two guys are picked in front of them. They're, you know, and for, after that they they can order off the menu, uh, so to speak. Um, sure, I, if I'm them, I'm I'm hanging the first sale sign right here. Other teams, you know, because as, as we said, look at the players that are going to be available. It's possibly Zach Wilson. Justin Fields, Penny Sewell, Devontae Smith, and a whole host of others. Now, for teams that are hungry for a quarterback that feel, you know, really strongly about one of those two QBs after Lawrence comes off the board, what are you willing to pay for him? You remember a few years ago, um, who was the Dolphins pick? They, um, Dion, uh, 
the, the pick of the Jeff Ireland. He moved up to number three to pick him. The, the, oh, the oh, um, oh, did, did, what was his last name? Yeah, the, the defensive end uh, from, right. from Oregon. Yeah, what the, what the heck was his last name? I, I, I think I blocked it out of my memory, but I know exactly but what you're the, talking about. He moved all the way up the, to number three. Yeah, the Dolphins, the 12th pick. Deion Jordan. They moved up to number – Deion Jordan. They moved up nine spots. They traded the 44th pick overall to move up nine spots. I don't know if that, if that trade is still relevant. In other words, if a team put that number 12 wanted to move up, would, would the Dolphins ask for more? But I know when you're talking about a quarterback, you know, that, that's the, the price to draft a quarterback seems to be higher than, say, if they wanted, say, a, a left tackle or something like that. So yes, I hang up the hang up. What what's the? There's nothing to lose by hanging up that for sale sign and saying, are you, "What are you willing to give me for this?" And they might get blown away with an offer. And there are needs. There are various needs. To, and if if the Dolphins feel, you know, this draft is really deep in certain positions, and they can, you know, again, they're picking 15 picks later. If they can get another first rounder and a second rounder, I mean, they'll they'll be loaded again. And it, it, the question is, what what kind of confidence do you have in this team? you know, to, to, to go through the draft again. And uh, I mean, let me, let me go off on a tangent for a second. I think it was a guy named Nick Casario. I think he took the job. He was the director of player personnel for the Patriots. I think he took the GM job in Houston. I'm not sure if that's official yet, but they've, they've tried to, they tried to hire him before and they couldn't, I think they got him. We can check the transactions. I think he's the guy. Imagine if you're him, you got a team right now that stinks. (laughs) <laughs> you have no first rounder. You have no second rounder. Uh, you've got a third rounder and a few picks after that. But talk about, I mean, just a, a, a rough start because Bill O'Brien made a, I mean, look, I know, I know he got his left tackle in Laramie Tunzel and uh, Kenny Stills won in that trade, right? Yeah, he did. By the way, Kenny Stills just signed, I think, with the Bills practice squad. I know. Yeah, it's, it's so, sad to see um, where he's fallen in the last couple of years. So, Bill, you know, thank you. All Dolphins fans should send Bill O'Brien a thing, you know, Christmas card, whatever. You just send them to dinner. Wherever How about this? Hire go. him. Hire him as the offensive coordinator. That might be the right way to thank him. Like, Bill, you, you've stocked our shelves. We're going to hire you. There you go. Um, that's another thing. The Dolphins, if, if you're, if we, they're never going to admit this in public. So let's pretend that we're a fly on the wall and we're, you know, at Dolphins headquarters in Davie, or we are the front office. For Tua's problems here, and you can blame a bunch of things. And by the way, I don't want to, you know, I don't subscribe to the fact that he's just awful. He's not. I mean, I think you could make a very good case for just, no, we're not going to draft a quarterback with a third overall pick. That's ridiculous. Um, you know, although, you know, look at, look at Arizona. They picked Josh Rosen, I think, what, number 10? I can't remember where he went. Yeah, Raw and then decided after one year he's not our guy, and they went with Kyler Murray. I think that's the right decision because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, until very late in the season, Rosen was a member of Tampa Bay's practice squad. How quickly uh, he fell. But if you're not going to draft Tua, um, you know, uh, how much do that let's say let's say you're of the theory how much of those problems or the, the things that he had to overcome as a rookie were due to Shan Gailey's offense if you think that was false do you think okay let me put it this way was Shan Gailey pushed or did he leave on his own volition that's a great question um I I am led to believe 
to believe that it was more Gailey's decision than it was the Dolphins' decision. I, I know a lot of Dolphin fans see it a different way and assume it a different way because they had complaints about him, you know, just having too limited of a playbook when Tua was on the field. Um, I, I am led to I am led to believe that for Chan Gailey stepping away and resigning, it it really had more to do with his own uh, his own experience. Um, you know, he's he's going to be seventy here shortly. I, I don't think that you know when he came out of retirement, you know, to join the Dolphins as offensive coordinator. I think that had a lot to do with him reuniting with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, and I don't think that Chan Gailey, as nobody did at the time he took that job, saw a worldwide pandemic coming. Uh, I don't think he foresaw a situation where, you know, he'd be putting himself at risk in a high age group and also, you know, having to conduct most of the meetings over Zoom in a virtual experience. Um, I I think that after a certain point, and, and yeah, even though there, there are good things, you know, happening in the world right now, there are vaccines out there that are rolling out. Uh, there, there's really there's really still no guarantee that the upcoming 2021 NFL season is going to be a whole lot different than the 2020 season. And, and I think Gailey may have just uh, may have just decided it, it's time to step away and let the retirement stick this time. But as far as the, the prior part of that conversation, um, Gailey, he gets used as a scapegoat, like for for as much as I like to a Tongo Vailoa, I'm not going to sit here and blame Chan Gailey for everything because. There's no question the playbook was more limited when Tua was on the field versus when Ryan Fitzpatrick was on the field. But why do no Dolphin fans ask why? Right? Why do no Dolphin fans give Gailey the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe there's a reason why Chan Gailey has decided you know, they can't run the offense the same way and that when Tua's on the field, there's more of an emphasis on ball security and field position, right? Where when Fitz is on the field, there's an em emphasis on really attacking downfield. Okay. Um, you know, people are, people are quick to assume, Hey, okay. Look at the way he calls plays when Fitz is on the field, Tua would be doing the exact same thing. They'd be scoring the same touchdowns. Well, maybe Gailey has seen Tua more than you. And again, I, I think Tua deserves the benefit of the doubt. I think he could be a really great quarterback at this level, but maybe he's not as ready to run Chan Gailey's offense as some of you think he is right. So, um, you know, there, there, there's certainly no question that I, I have to, uh, I have to point out Dolphins fans making Gailey out to be a bit of a scapegoat. Um, you know, I also, Frito, a, a reason why I absolutely do not mind Gailey moving on is, you know, given, given his situation as being more of a bridge guy who they literally pulled out of retirement to take this job, um, I, I, I would like to see them really develop an offense with some new blood. Like, I, I'd like to see them try and find, you know, an offensive coordinator who's just a, a little bit more creative and a little bit more progressive and can actually be around with Tua potentially for the next three or four years. Now, if you do a really great job, you may get hired as somebody's head coach and you can't really control that. But, you know, I, I would really like to see, you know, the offensive coordinator of the future take this job. Whereas, you know, Chan Gailey to me, he, he's always been more of a bridge guy or a stopgap guy. So hopefully the Dolphins can find the right replacement. All right. But if, if you, first of all, I don't think you can, look at an existing offensive coordinator who's under contract and probably learned to the Dolphins, if he's that good, the team that's got him is not going to let him go. Yeah. Right. So do you take a position coach that 
you know, you you want to see, all right, could he make the step up? Maybe you get the Eric next Eric the enemy or you know some somebody Brian. I, I remember when Brian Dable was here as the offensive coordinator, he was regarded so so. I don't think the evaluation of him was very good. Now doing so well in Buffalo, you know, and he and he, you know people credit him a lot with Josh Allen's development is is how well he's done as the OC. Uh, he's being mentioned as a head coaching candidate, you know. So uh, you know, over time things can happen. Um, okay, I'm, are you sitting down? I am sitting, and down. I don't. Pro- I, I I don't promote this. I don't want it at all. I won't even let him in the building. But what if he named Adam Gase as the offensive coordinator? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> at the press conference, you'll have this. You know, those big eyes. He's looking for um, the floating taco in this guy. <laughs> I, don't, I, I know we're going off on a tangent here. I would not hire that guy as a position coach. I think he's a crappy coach. And when he comes out and he says, I didn't develop Sam Darnold well enough. Um, you know, boy, that's, that's an indictment of yourself. There, there are teams that got to dilemma. Do you draft a quarterback and stick with Darnold? Or do you go with a left tackle to protect him? Uh, you know, do you pick a wide receiver? I, they, they've, they've got a huge a seismic decision to make as to what they do. Um, you know, and, and by the way, you, let's look at that, that class of quarterbacks for, it was Darnold. Well, Darnold was the, uh, what the third overall is Baker Mayfield was the number one overall yeah, pick sure that year. One. He's had his ups and downs at times. He's looked very good at other times. Not he's looked better than Darnold mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Darnold so far has looked, I think, crappy. Um, how much of the blame you put on this coaching staff, you know, um, do you, do you say, all right, we've, we've seen enough of this guy. We're, we're, we're done with him. Josh Allen took a while, but he was part of that class, right? Was he not? He was. Um, Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen. He's, he's late a third. He's, 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 his career is all but done. I mean, he's never going to, I don't think, be more than, uh, you know, short of an injury or something. He's never going to be more than a backup. And he, if, if, if he's lucky, if he's lucky, yeah. he'll stick around in the league like that. So, you know, oh, two has been struggling. A lot of quarterbacks struggle. A lot of rookie quarterbacks struggle. And then as you say, look, look, look at Josh Allen. I mean, he didn't, you know, he had a tough rookie year. And look at him right now. He's being mentioned as a possible MVP candidate. I'm not saying two is going to necessarily be that. But I, I, and again, we don't know all the information on Tua. He seems to have a great work ethic. He, he seems to put in all the work necessary. I think he's had a splendid tutor in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think you talk about a great teammate. This guy... When he was benched, he he was honest. He said how disappointed he was, but he never complained. You know, he said it really blindsided him. And I think he's been a terrific, a outstanding, outstanding teacher for two. I'd love him. I'd love Tua to be the starter. I'd love him back as a backup if that's a role that he was willing to uh, to uh, accept. But I I think the Dolphins were up to me with just the information that we know publicly. I'd stick with Tua and keep going with him. And there's just a whole host of things you can do with that third overall pick to improve your team. And as you say, four picks in the top 50, if you hit on just two of them, if you hit on three of them, what a future this team has. Yeah. And they also have a lot of money to spend in free agency if they choose to. I mean, over yeah. $30 million still under under the cap. So they they can add – they can add a combination of things They they can, you know, and, and I look at how badly this team needs wide receivers. You know, I, I, I like Devonte Parker, but he, he plays a certain style where he's more of a, 
a 50-50 ball catch radius type, the Dolphins don't really have someone who can create separation while also knowing how to catch. Because Jakeem Grant is really fast. I do not trust that guy to catch passes. He's not the total package, right? I mean, maybe adding Albert Wilson back into the mix next year is going to be a breath of fresh air. But the Dolphins need a wide receiver who can actually stretch the field and reliably catch balls. And a guy like Devontae Smith could accomplish that. Um, you know, and I think there could be an opportunity to bring in, you know, a veteran wide receiver through free agency, like an Allen Robinson, and also adding a receiver through the draft. So the Dolphins can can really upgrade in that area. Uh, a, a thought that I have going back to the offensive coordinator conversation is, you know, a few of the names that, that get thrown around, there are a couple of assistant coaches that are currently on staff that are, that are going to get considered. Uh, one of those being the tight ends coach, George Godsey, who has obviously done a pretty good job coaching up that position group. Uh, they also really like the running backs coach, uh, Eric Studsville. Now, I know the Dolphins uh, running game hasn't really blown anybody away. I think that's more about who they have in that backfield than who that they have uh, coaching it. I, I wouldn't really put a lot of that blame on Eric Studsville for that. So, so th those are some you know, internal candidates that are going to definitely get interviews and definitely get considered. As far as candidates from the outside, you know, I threw this around there kind of as a joke earlier, but I, I do think the Dolphins should consider Bill O'Brien if he's interested. Now, that's a guy, obviously, I, I certainly don't want to give any sort of personnel control to, not that he would have that as an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't like him that much as a head coach. I hate him as a GM, but as far as just an OC... He was humming, you know, with the New England Patriots uh, when he had that role years ago. And that also means he's got a connection with Brian Flores because they were both on that staff. Right. So I I don't know if they had a great relationship together in New England or not, but they certainly know each other. They have a working relationship from those days. So I think he should get considered, you know, and, and Frito, you threw out there a name from from Buffalo uh, being Dayball, who I think is going to potentially end up a head coach somewhere. But the quarterbacks coach in Buffalo is someone who's got a little history in this area, Ken Dorsey. I would love to give him an interview. And I know that would be a step up for him. He's never been an offensive coordinator before, but as the quarterbacks coach in Buffalo seems like he's doing something right with Josh Allen. He had a good run at quarterbacks coach with the Carolina Panthers years ago. Seemed like he was doing pretty good things as well. He's a highly regarded guy. I can't guarantee you that Ken Dorsey is a great play caller because I haven't seen him do it, but I know he's smart. I know he's cerebral. I know he would put in the necessary study, you know, to put himself in the best possible position to do that. And if you're talking about bringing in potentially an OC who can, you know, help uh, be hands-on with quarterbacks as well, I, I would certainly trust a guy like Ken Dorsey to work with Tua Tungavailoa. And, and I think that could be, that could be an interesting somewhat out of the box type of hire. If Ken, I'm not, I, I go, I don't know, you know, how Dorsey would be as an offensive coordinator. I have no idea. Um, but if Dorsey had gone to, I'm testing your, your thinking here. If Dorsey had gone to Georgia Tech, would you have just said what you would said to me? He went to UM. Yeah. So you got a man crush on him. If he went to another school besides <laughs> UM, if he went to, uh, you know, Southwest Louisiana, <laughs> Would you recommend Ken Dorsey to be brought in for an interview? 
probably, probably not, but you know, I, and, and I see what you're saying, but, but you might not have even heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> but, but doesn't he also have, have a resume though? I mean, as the quarterback's coach of a quarterback <clears throat> who's developed into an MVP candidate this year, I, I think he does deserve credit on merit too. Well, uh, and also, Bill, I'm going to go back to Bill O'Brien for a second. Yes, Bill O'Brien did well in, in New England. He also had a guy named Brady. I've heard of him. Quarterback. Yeah. How did Charlie Weiss do? Now, that, he, left, he yeah. left as a head coach. How did Charlie Weiss do when he left? He was this brain behind the New England offense and, uh, you know, did okay, but I think largely a huge disappointment, uh, you know, as a head coach at Notre Dame and then Kansas. Um, the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Now, this sounds funny because Brian Flores, in a couple of years here, we I think you, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that said he has done anything less than splendid, and he could very well be the coach of the year this year. <clears throat> in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the NFL, but by and large, that coaching tree hasn't done great. O'Brien went to Penn State in a really tough time, and he did well enough to to earn the job with the Texans. He did pretty well with the Texans. Uh, but you're right. It's, it, it, you know, maybe he's the guy, and certainly as an offensive quarter, he would have no say in personnel. He'd be in meetings. He could recommend people, but he's not going to have, you know, he'll be a, a thousand miles away from having any kind of personnel control. No, no, OC has that. Um, maybe he's the right guy. I hire, you know, I, there's no, sexy candidate for lack of a better term is nobody that really <clears throat> to borrow the late great Jim, uh, Jim managed phrase. Nobody that really you know, tingles my toes. Um, and I'm trying to get up because the bandwidth is so slow here. I'm trying to, you know, have a list of teams <clears throat> offensive or that of player of head coaches that have been fired from the offensive side of the ball. Brian was one. Uh-huh. Um, Anthony Lynn, he's a defensive guy, I believe. Uh, no, nah, he's, he's an off- I, th- I think guy. he's an offensive guy, Lynn. I'm pretty sure he's an offensive guy. Anthony Lynn, was he? Okay. I'm pretty sure well, I still question his. I'm, I'm not. I'm. I'm not a real high on on Anthony Lynn. Maybe more in game management, where I would sit there and say, "What the hell are you doing?" Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other guys that uh, might have been fired that uh, you could bring as a coordinator. You know, you're never going to get an, an, an Eric Bieniemy to leave the Chiefs unless he's, you hire him as a head coach. Um, you know, do you hire, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Kansas City quarterback coach, for instance? Well, you know, he's also a quarterback and a guy named Patrick Mahomes, um, but he's also learning under the, the tutelage of Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. Um, you know, I don't know who it is. I have no idea. But my point is, you know, maybe maybe that's a coaching tree that would work well. Um at least they've got sort of time to look for this, but you, you know, if you're, if you're Brian Flores, are you satisfied? First of all, as, as I, I think the world Brian Flores, I question from the start, bringing back a guy who'd what he'd been out of the league for two years. And it was, it was that old. I, I questioned that from the very beginning. I wasn't a big fan of bringing, of bringing in Shan Gailey. I remember him being an offensive coordinator here 15, 16, 18 years ago, whatever it was. It was like, Under it was like 20 years ago, I think. Um, it, was a, it was a while back. Maybe, maybe 20. And I remember him covering the team. Uh... Ooh, I don't know if Frito can hear me. I think we got we got frozen Frito. Uh, something that uh, I, I do, I do want to ask uh, Frito if he can hear me here is, do you think there's any sort of 
added value to potentially promoting from within? I mean, you talk about not necessarily having sexy candidates in the mix. So if I if I think about you know, the possibility of saying, you know what, we like what George Godsey, the tight ends coach is already doing here. Or we, we think that Eric Studsville, the running back running backs coach is ready for a promotion. Is there added value to promote from within knowing that you are dealing with a rookie quarterback? And when you're talking about a young developing quarterback, continuity can be important. Okay. Because one of the factors that I think goes into young quarterbacks not developing properly, this is not this is not a definite rule, but I think there are plenty of examples of this, is when you're working with different coordinators year after year after year. Now, obviously, uh, the, the, there's no chance that Tua is going to work with the same exact coordinator next year because Chan Gailey has stepped away, presumably is going to go back into retirement. Um, but, you know, the idea of potentially going with, you know, somebody who's, who's already on the staff, is there, is there an added value to that? So, you know, Frito, I want to, want to ask you that question, knowing that, you know, the Dolphins do have a, a rookie starting quarterback. And I think mm-hmm. um, the, 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 there is some value to continuity, right? When you're talking about young quarterbacks, could there be added value for the Dolphins to promote from within? Like if you do like Godsey or Studsville, you know, knowing that these guys are already familiar with Tua, they're already familiar with the personnel. Could it actually be better for continuity's sake instead of bringing in somebody from the outside who's going to try and reinvent the wheel? You know, to bring in someone who's going to maybe do things similar to how to how Gailey did it, but maybe open up the play calling a little bit more. But somebody who already knows the personnel and already knows Tua. Well, I mean, again, that. I, I like the system that we have. And um, so I want to, I want to continue again. I don't want someone to come in here and reinvent the entire playbook and, and have us, uh, you know, once again, go over, uh, you know, have to have to learn and everybody else have to learn uh, the playbook. If you think that the playbook was flawed, the system was flawed, then you go outside, you know, and uh, I got my list here. I'm trying to look at the guys that have been fired. Uh, Matt Patricia, he's a defensive guy. He was a, Guy that was let go, Dan Quinn, a defensive guy. Um, you know, do you try to hire someone say from the staff? You know, who's there? You know, you maybe an assistant coach there that you could 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 bring aboard. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, um, I don't. Know. Were you were you excited by the system the Dolphins had? Um, no. Again, they the offense was affected by COVID. It was affected by, uh, you know, a, a lot of things, guys that were hurt, but everybody has guys that were hurt, but COVID really, you know, at times, uh, you know, crippled this team. Um, if, if you're not in love with this offense, then you, you know what you, you say to Brian, Brian Flores says that Chris Greer, I want to shake up the etch sketch, uh, to use a very dated reference. <laughs> and, um, we, we need to bring in a guy from the outside and and maybe a Brian's a good, a good pick. I don't know. Um, yeah, not as a head coach, not as a guy with personnel, but for a guy calling plays, he might be the right guy. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, uh, and, and you're right to bring up w- with Gailey. Um, I certainly was not in love with his offense. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I, I think that maybe something a bit more progressive with more run pass option, um, you know, uh, sort of, uh, sort of looks, which is something that Tua can really thrive in 
would benefit the Dolphins. I think more RPO would be a big thing. And so, yeah, I mean, for, for as much as I say that there may be added value to promoting from within, I also think, Frito, that there can be a lot of value in, in many situations with bringing in an outside perspective, right? Because if there's anything you think about the Dolphins offense that wasn't working, that could have been improved, whether you blame personnel or blame coaching, sometimes bringing in someone from the outside with different ideas and who wasn't in that Dolphins bubble for the past year, or for the past two years, uh, I think could be a benefit. And, and if there is somebody out there like uh, like maybe a Bill O'Brien, if, if I can throw his name back in the mix, who, you know, obviously has watched Miami, has evaluated, he's got some kind of a relationship with Brian Flores. Maybe he's seeing things from his outside perspective that the Dolphins are not seeing from within, and he can add some of that to the offense. So I, I think it's good food for thought. Does the run RPO with Tua coming off hip surgery make you nervous at all? It's, it's a very valid yeah. thing to have. It, you know, it, it, it takes a very quick evaluation by the quarterback to, you know, all right, A is happening, I got to do B. Uh, but I think he's certainly smart enough. But, and, I, and, and right now, I think what we're seeing, I love the fact, again, I'm going off on a tangent, but that seems to be what I do. Um, I love the fact that we are seeing more athletes who happen to play quarterback and yes. these guys that can run, you know, uh, you know, a couple of years ago in fantasy football, I drafted a guy named Omar Jackson, pretty damn good runner. I drafted Kyler Murray this year until he's got hurt and they were so afraid to run him. Uh, you know, he got hurt a shoulder injury. Uh, great runner. And we're seeing these in, in, in young quarterbacks, these guys that can just, okay, you're going to give me a little gap in the, you know, in the offensive line, an A gap or a B gap back. Oh yeah. I think, uh, I think I may have lost Frito, but there, there, there's no question about that with uh, with the RPO stuff and the athletes. Uh, we're we're going to take a pause here and wrap up our number one. There's a lot I want to get into in our number two, including funny thing happened to Frito when he woke up this morning. And I, I've got to get a few things off my chest when it comes to uniforms, because I've, I've seen some incredibly, incredibly ugly uniforms in the NBA this year, and I am going to take no prisoners on that. You are listening to another episode of the Dono and Frito Show here on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Back here on the Dono and Frito Show on Sirius XM Slam Radio. You know, Frito, I don't know how you feel about uniforms. If you're like a uniform crazy sports fan, um, I I am a huge, huge proponent of classic looks. Like when the Miami mm -hmm. Dolphins wear their 60s era throwbacks so much better than the newer stuff. And I, I think the Dolphins front office even realizes that because they wear the throwbacks as much as they're like allowed to do by the NFL. And, you know, the Miami Heat at times have had some good uniforms, right? Like they, they've had, you know, late 1980s throwbacks that they've worn or 1990s throwbacks that they've worn. And over the last few years, I have really liked some of the Vice stuff that they've done. The original white one, the, the Vice Knights black, the, the blue one, the pink one. But what they've done this year 
it's completely jumped the shark. Like I'm watching these heat games on TV where they have these vice versa jerseys that are like tri colors. And then they have like the pink and, and, and blue and orange or whatever it is on the court. It's an eyesore. Like it looks absolutely terrible. So it's like, I mean, sometimes I'm not that picky about uniforms, but when you do something as hideous as the heat have done this year, I draw the line on that. Are you, are you a big guy on uniforms, Frito? Well, I was always a guy that didn't like the Miami Vice uniforms. I never did. I kept my mouth shut because I know people loved them and I would cover games and I wouldn't say a word. But by and large, oh, God. Sorry about that. By and large, um, I don't, I'm not a big uniform guy. And, I, you know, look, just, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, there are classic uniforms in New York, Yankee pinstripes and all that, and those should never change. But I'm not a big uniform guy. Um, just put on some clothes, don't play naked. <laughs> And then uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good motto for life. Put on some clothes. Don't play naked. Yeah, it's like, it, listen, I don't know with, with this with this Miami Heat vice versa thing. I, I don't know. Maybe they've already contractually locked in. They have to wear it a certain number of times this year. And uh, and a bunch of people have bought it because when, when they first put them for sale online, now, they, now the way that they used to do it before a global pandemic was, they used to release them like in person at the heat store and you would have to like wait in line at midnight, like in front of uh, the American airlines arena. Our, to our buy old the producer gear. did that. Alex, Alex Solana did that one he night. He did do that. Our old producer. He was like <laughs> 11 at night. He was there. I thought he was insane. Like you're really going to get stand in line for two hours to buy some gear. Uh, but now you know, th- this year with the pandemic, they, everybody had to order it on the internet. You couldn't like go, you know, wait in line and stand in line in person, but a ton of people bought these uniforms, you know, waited uh, in some cases, literally months before the uniforms could actually ship to them. Cause there was so much of a demand for it. I wonder because when they first released these uniforms a couple months back, I didn't think they looked that bad just seeing the jersey like in a photo on the web. Like I, I didn't think it looked that bad. And maybe you had like maybe like a like a you know, like a model, like a like a Derek Zoolander type male model wearing the uniform in the photo. It didn't look that bad. But when you actually see them on the court, I think they look horrific. So I wonder if anybody got buyer's remorse after ordering those. It's like, oh my God, I thought this was kind of cool, but it actually came in the mail. This looks like this looks like crap, this uniform I'm wearing. And I wonder if uh, the Heat are probably, because they're selling all this merchandise and they they have to clear this with the NBA, they're probably obligated to wear these uniforms a certain amount of times. Personally, I would not blame them if they realize what a mistake it was and they say, you know what, we're going to put these back in the equipment room and we're not going to wear these again. Do you ever wonder, since you don't like those uniforms at all, do you ever wonder, geez, what was second place? Yeah. What was the second place uniform? <laughs> if, if, if this was better than all of the rest, what was second place like? How bad right. was that? Well, what was the line from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? Second place is set of steak knives. Third place yeah, is you so fired. That's, what, oh, that's a great line. Alex, uh, Alex Baldwin was phenomenal. He goes in front of all these salespeople and he got to motivate them. And, you know, they're having a sales contest. First prize is the Cadillac Eldorado. Second <laughs> prize, and he holds up the box. Set of steak knives. Third prize, third prize, you're fired. That's a great, I, that's one of the great lines. It's phenomenal. And everybody seems to remember that scene. It was memorable. It was just, that, that's a great line. I've never even seen that movie, but I remember that line because it gets played they enough. Drop, I've never I actually think seen it. it. David Mamet 
who wrote it, I think he might have directed it too, loves the F word, loves F-bombs. I think it was 250 of them. It was just, it was a, an extraordinary number of, it, 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 it might, that might be a little exaggerated, but it was an extraordinary number. It, I mean, the acting in that was just incredible. The, the actors in this, I mean, just Oscars galore. It, 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 people, you know, Pacino and Jack Lemmon and Kevin Spacey when he wasn't, uh, in trouble, and uh, I mean, just a whole host of Ed Harris is a great Ed Harris, by the way, is one of the few guys. If, if he came right here and knocked on our door, my wife would leave me in a second for Ed Harris. For Ed Harris, I, wow. loves Ed Harris, loves Ed Harris. Yeah, Interesting. She'd, uh, she'd be like, Honey, bye, see ya. <laughs> oh man, that's really funny. So, by the way, real quick, speaking of my wife, she was laughing this morning. Because I was my turn to wake up and take care of the dog and all that and the cats and feed them, and my I I I, I use my phone to wake myself up. You know, I set the alarm in that, and I was I mean I've been grog, groggy when I wake up and I don't really know what I'm doing, and I guess I kept picking up my phone, and you know when the alarm went off, I kept going Alexa stop Alexa Alexa stop and and. It's my phone. It's not an Alexa. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. couldn't understand why my phone kept ringing. And she just started laughing at me because I, I was that groggy and I couldn't turn <laughs> off my phone. I kept thinking, I just couldn't do it. I so, a little bit, a little bit groggy this morning. But I, I was up late last night, uh, you know, watching the, uh, the all the politics stuff after the Congress resumed. I had to see, uh, you know, the thing finish and, and Biden and Harris when they were officially certified as uh president and vice president so i i'm one of these guys that was up uh you know very late i went to bed i don't know one something and i always wake up in the middle of the night I came downstairs and at 3 41 it happened i even put something on facebook uh uh then and so uh yeah i'm a political junkie so i had to see that in the middle of the night well and i'll, I'll tell you what, i was groggy yeah and it wasn't well, and, and everything that was going on yesterday was was such a, a big deal that Something that absolutely shocked me, Frito, is so you're a political junkie. My wife is the opposite. My wife never watches the news. I mean, she she keeps up with certain things, you know, because, uh, you know, because she, she, she goes on Facebook. So she sees people talking about things, but she, she never watches the news. If, if I were to ask her, like, what channel is CNN on DirecTV, which we have, she would have no idea. She never watches the news. Really? Ever. Oh, I'm I, I'm glued to like MSNBC. Constantly. Yeah, no, she, I record she, almost every show. This. She has no clue. Like you know, she she votes, but that's the extent of it. Like she she does not keep up with, and and it's not to say she isn't sensitive to things that go on in the world. It's just it's not the way she occupies her time. Like she she does not spend any time following politics. She doesn't watch the news, and so w- when I get home yesterday from work, and I walk through the front door. And I see her watching NBC News. That was a shocker. Like she never watches the news. Like for for the entire election cycle, she never turned the TV on and watched the news. Like you know whatever was going on, she got her news from Facebook. Like I, I have never ever seen her willingly watch the news on TV. And I think the reason why she had it on Channel Six, like regular generic NBC News, was she would have no idea where to even find like CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever. <laughs> like she would have no clue. So she just turned the TV on. She's like, let me try random channels. Where so so she she had been checking the internet like during the afternoon and she saw everything that was going on at the Capitol building. 
And so when, when I got home and I realized, wow, my wife is actually willingly watching the news on television. That's how you know it's a big deal what's happening in the country today. So, so yeah. that was, I mean, for someone who's the opposite of you, because she is not a political junkie whatsoever, for her to actually be watching the news on TV it was pretty significant. I had a whole bunch of things I needed to do yesterday. And, um, you know, my wife is so busy at work. She's a veterinarian and just slammed. And I sent her some photos uh, from TV as to what was going on, you know, them storming the Capitol and, and these, these armed guards at the entrance to the House of Representatives with guns pointed toward the entrance in case somebody broke through. Mm. Just remarkable photos. And she barely had time to glance at and look at them. But I had a whole host of things to do. I couldn't take my eyes off the TV as to what was going on. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and make this an entire political show, but it was just, it was, it transcended politics. I mean, this was just incredible as to what was happening. And I'm just, you know, just staring at the TV. Like, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. It's just that yeah. no one would have thought that could, uh, you know, that could happen. So it was just, uh, and your wife is, is, is the litmus test. If she was yeah. interested in that, you know, it was something seismic. You know, it, it absolutely was seismic. And, yeah. and it's and, and something like when, when something like that, you know, happens and, you know, obviously just, you know, for, for me, you know, uh, sit, sitting around South Florida, I, 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 unfortunately, you know, you feel a little powerless because you have no personal control over the situation. You know, that, that doesn't stop people from being invested, emotionally invested in what's happening, nor should you, because... Um, when something like that is going on, Frito, it puts things in perspective because I am someone who gets very worked up when my sports teams let me down. Also something that I have no control over, right? For, for as much as I expend, I spend mental energy complaining about, you know, how come the Dolphins aren't attacking downfield a little bit more often? How come the Hurricanes can't make a tackle in a game? You know, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's not something that I actually have control over, although I'm very superstitious. So I do feel like maybe my actions have control over certain things, but you know, I, I started the day very upset, borderline depressed in the morning because my beloved Inter Milan lost a game that they should have won, you know? So I was very, I was very upset about that. And then like you end the day with others, oh, you know, a uh, kind of a, a bit of a crisis going on in my country. So it puts things in perspective, but are you like me, Frito? Cause I know you're, you're a political junkie, more political junk, political junkie than I am. You're, you're also up until a few years ago, 2016, a very long suffering Chicago Cubs fan. Um, I mean, do you, how, how emotionally, <laughs> how emotionally invested do you get in games? And if your team loses like a really, really tough game, like a world series game, or like, I, I remember when the Miami heat, who I love so much at 2011 NBA finals, when they lost game six to the Dallas Mavericks, and I'm watching Chris Bosch crying in the tunnel. I was gutted by that. Like that, that affected me for, I, I was like, you couldn't talk to me for 36 hours after I was so depressed about it. And like, I, I was upset. I mean, not, not the same level of like depression of the first 36 hours, but I was, I was upset about that for months. It was a trigger. It was a hot button topic for me. How upset do you get when your team loses a tough game? Cause it really affects me in a way that it probably shouldn't. You were born in when? 84? 84. Okay. In 84, the Cubs made the playoffs for the first time since 1945. It had been 39 years. And my wow. beloved Cubs made the playoffs. Back then, 
there were just two divisions in each league and it was a best of five series. And then you went to the winner goes to the world series and the Cubs made the playoffs. And we were ecstatic. I was living in Washington DC at the time with two other friends and they were at work and the Cubs won the first two games. They were up two nothing. The series went back to San Diego for the last three and they lost the last three. And that last game, I'm, lay, I'm laying on the floor in our apartment. I don't know why I was on the couch <laughs> watching this. And they, they lost game five, a game they, they were in the lead. And I'm 22 years old and crying. So oh, you ask man. how I react. Yeah. I was crushed that they lost that. So, yeah, I get emotionally invested. Um, I will tell you that I was thinking the Cubs right now, they're a not completely in rebuild mode, but they're about to, they already got rid of a couple of guys, including you Darvish, second best pitcher in the national league and second in Cy Young voting. Um, uh, you know, last year, but they're about to rebuild. Excuse me. I'm going to walk over there. Just let the dog out. Okay. Can I keep no talking and just let him out? Yeah, of course. Okay. Who so, let the dogs out? That's right. So <laughs> the Cubs are almost in rebuild mode. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to let him out right here. Go ahead. And um, and so I was thinking of actually canceling the baseball package because they're not going to be particularly good. But then they hired my old friend, Boog Shambi. He is now the t- TV play-by-play guy. I was a big fan of Len Casper. This is interesting. Len Casper, who was a former Marlins broadcaster, as was Boog, decided to leave the Cubs. He got permission to get out of his contract. He was the TV play-by-play for the Cubs, but he always thought that the purest form of baseball play-by-play was radio. So he oh. went to a less prestigious position. He took a, the radio play-by-play guy, uh, play guy from uh, with the White Sox. Hmm. And so, so he's a traitor. He went from TV to radio. You did, <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what, the White Sox are a team on the rise. They, they're going to be yeah. incredible bastard. Um <laughs> So and and so they're looking for the the rumor was that Chris Myers of, e, of Fox now, formerly of ESPN, was going to be the play-by-play guy, and and the Cubs fans were incredulous, like Chris Myers, you got to be kidding me, uh-huh. and but then they hired Boog, who's still going to do some games for ESPN. He'll do about 130 Cubs games on TV, but he's the TV play-by-play guy, and uh, he so he's not going to you know work full time. I got to let Wrigley in now, so excuse me here uh, for ESPN. So I'm going to keep the baseball package so I can listen to us. Uh, Listen to Boog, and I think it's a, it's a great my my favorite baseball play by play guy with my favorite team. How can I not watch? That, that's a great point, and you know what? That, that's really funny that you bring that up because um, I sometimes hear people ask the question of how much an announcer really makes a difference in whether or not people are going to watch the game because we we scrutinize announcers right like when when monday night football in 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 recent years they've had some bad crews in monday night football a few years ago Mm -hmm. they had a play-by-play guy in sean mcdonough who to me just doesn't move the needle i mean he's way too vanilla way too monotone it is he didn't scream out monday night football to me i mean jason witten was an analyst there a couple of years ago i thought he was really bad on tv they've had some bad booths in monday night football but people will often ask the question of 
does that really affect whether or not you're watching the game? Like, are, are you going to make that decision one way or the other? I mean, if it's a bad game, you may not watch it, but does who's calling a Monday night football game really make a difference? And then you've got, you know, a channel like CBS where, you know, Tony Romo is, he's the A-list analyst now. Like he, he's the most sought after guy. And, you know, they, and they, they've had to give him a gigantic new contract to keep him from potentially leaving for Monday night football. <laughs> Go ahead. 10, 10 years, $180 million. You think he made the right, you think he made the right choice to retire? He's, he made more money in the long term in, in TV. And guess what? He doesn't get hit every week. Right, right. He studies film. He goes and watches a game and announces. I think yeah. he made the right choice. So, he, so he's, he's, making, he's making quarterback money to be an analyst on TV, which is just wild to me. And then, and then people always bring up, like, wait, is, is he really worth that money? Because are you really deciding you're going to watch a game because Tony Romo is on it? So I find it and, – and to me, personally, I, I think maybe that, like, you and me, like, we're, we're kind of in not exactly the same business, but we're kind of in that business. So we may maybe appreciate announcers more than the layman does. But I thought your story there about Boog is pretty cool – because for anyone out there who asks, do announcers actually make a difference? I mean, you are a Cubs fan, but you're making a decision to keep paying for a service, and it has a lot to do with who's calling the game. So I think that's cool. It does. I don't know if I would. If I didn't know who Boog was, I'm not sure I would do that. True. Um, I probably still would keep the baseball package. I'm such a Cubs fan. I, ah. you know, I'm going to live through you know, thick and thin. But you, you brought up an interesting point. I mean, there, you know, you got Jim Nance, how many millions he's making. I don't know. And you pair him with Tony Romo, who is, you say, you know, was, was being courted by ESPN and CBS had to pay up to get him to keep him, excuse me, $18 million a year for 10 years, $180 million. I'm not sure I'm ever going to – I like Tony Romo, and I think he's very good, and he can tell you, you know, what's going to happen and all that. And, you know, he's very good at prognosticating. I don't know if I'm ever going to tune into a game, and this might contradict what I'm saying about Boog, simply because an announcer is calling that game. Yeah. If I want to see the game, you know, if it's Kansas City against Baltimore, I'm going to watch the game just because I think it could be or Baltimore against Pittsburgh, you know, because it's a great division rivalry, something like that. You know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a great game. I'm not going to necessarily watch, oh my God, Tony Romo is announcing the game, hmm. but it's, you know, not teams that necessarily interest me I don't know if I'm going to watch that then I just uh I think it's the game that attracts me more than say uh the announcers <clears throat> I tell you Romo reminds me of something because again he's very good at saying I think this is going to happen I really I like that I don't know if you ever heard of this guy there was a guy who was a player for the Yankees later the general manager I think he was in charge he might have been in charge when they drafted a guy named Derek Jeter huh. um and, and a manager of the Yankees, his name was, he's, he's no longer with us. His name was Gene Michael. His nickname was Stan. Hmm. And, and, you know, he did everything in baseball. And he was very highly regarded. And later years, he was a scout. And one time he came to, I used to love talking to baseball scouts. I, I, I enjoyed that when I covered the Marlins as much as the games themselves, because I learned so much from these guys. And there was one game he came and he watched the Marlins and he didn't want to sit in the stands. Maybe it was too hot. This was before they had a roof. Mm-hmm. And he sat next to me because he knew me a little bit in, in, in the press box. And it was like the Uber professor. He would say, all right, next pitch is a slider. Bam, a slider. 
here comes the fastball. He called like every single pitch and was going to tell me what happened before it happened. I'm, I just sat there like in awe of like, this guy is just a computer. It was just amazing. So, you know, that's one thing I like about Romo. He's very good at that. But it, will you sit there and turn into a game, whether it's a soccer game or any other sport, where you ordinarily wouldn't tune into it, but you will because so-and-so is announcing it? No, I wouldn't. Um, I, 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 can, I think this comparison might work that, being being a play-by-play guy or a color guy it's it's kind of like being an offensive lineman you don't necessarily notice them unless they're really doing something wrong now that's not to say that there have been play-by-play guys who have had you know um iconic calls like you know al michaels do you believe in miracles like there there are certain moments where okay you've got a great play-by-play guy who gave you something classic that a lesser play-by-play guy not may, may not have given you such an iconic call in that spot. So it isn't to say that I don't appreciate, I don't, it's not to say I don't appreciate the profession because I do, but I think that um, you tend, people tend to notice announcers more if they're really screwing up. Like I, I can remember set this, this had to have been going back to 2012 or 2013. Okay. So back, back at this time, I think it was 2012, um, Fox at the time had uh, had invested big money in the UFC, like a big TV deal with the UFC. Okay, and uh, and the UFC has since moved on from that deal to ESPN because it was like a six five six year deal when it expired. They signed a deal with ESPN, but at the time Fox had just uh, had gotten the rights to air a bunch of UFC fights, and I, I guess part of that deal was for some reason maybe this was to sort of to throw the UFC a bone. Fox had decided they were going to put the man who at the time was the UFC's play-by-play announcer. He since he was he was fired from that role a few years back. But this guy Mike Goldberg, who's also he he's the like the voice of uh, Arizona Cardinals uh, preseason football. Like he's done some other things. He's been a hockey so he's been around the business. He's not only a UFC guy. But the funny thing about it was even UFC fans never thought this guy was a particularly good announcer. Like, like, like Mike Goldberg never moved the needle, like, a, you know, just kind of annoying. Like, I, I was never a huge fan of his. A lot of people weren't. But I guess part of um, when Fox signed this big deal with the UFC, they said, oh, we're, we're going to put Mike Goldberg on like one of our like Fox uh, NFL announcing crews. Like he wasn't one of their top guys. He was like one of the later guys. And the first game that he got to call for the NFL on Fox, um, yeah, it might have been like the the Giants. I can't remember who played. I guess it's not really that important. I think it was. I think it was the Giants versus the the Lions. And Frito in like a three hour NFL broadcast, he made no less than a dozen mistakes of calling players <laughs> the wrong names. Right, he kept getting names mixed up. He he was calling out names of guys who didn't even play for the team. So, you know, he, he became like, if you went to any of the sports blogs, like awfulannouncing.com or Deadspin back in the day, they had these like highlight reels of, wow, how bad was Mike Goldberg calling this game? So, so that's an instance where Mike Goldberg kind of vanilla, you know, like standard play-by-play guy, if he had just done his job correctly and not screwed up, you, you wouldn't have even <clears> noticed <throat> like, okay, he's doing an okay job. But the fact that he made like a dozen simple mistakes in the game, he became, you know, a, a meme afterwards. When I lived in D.C., and I told you when I lived in D.C. in 1984, there was a local 
sports guy, you know, on the news, the guy who does sports on the, you know, the sports segment on the news and um, an older guy. And he thought, I mean, he just would make one mistake after another. He would say things like, you know, the top 10 rankings came out today and Maryland is number 15. Um, you know, the <laughs> Orioles got, the Orioles got shut out today, seven to two, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up that Al Michaels. Now he made maybe the, I think the most iconic call in the history of sports with, I can remember February 22nd, 1980. I don't remember the exact date it was uh, with the, with the, you know, do you believe in miracles? So fast forward to this past Monday night, three days ago, was that? No, Sunday, Sunday, I'm sorry, Sunday night football. And Doug Peterson, we can talk about this if you want, puts in Nate Sudfeld. He takes out Jalen Hurts when the Eagles are losing with three quarters, which made the Giants livid because somehow the Eagles can upset Washington, the Giants go in the playoffs. Even the Eagles players were totally pissed off. And they were, you know, Sudfeld was struggling. He wasn't doing anything. And Michael said a great line. He goes, I tell you what, if they pull this off, I might have to dust off a line I haven't used in 41 years. Oh, <laughs> he said that. <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's so good. Oh, it was great. And, and oh then you, your reaction right there was about what Chris Collins was saying. Was, oh, my God. You know, things like that. It was, it was a great Al Michaels line. I love the fact that he, he said that. That is so good. And um, that, that was a. Oh, it was phenomenal. I just sat there like, oh, my God, what a great, you know, and Al Michaels is 70-something. I still think, he, you know, he's going to be replaced in a couple of years when his contract runs out by Mike Tirico, who I have all the respect for in the world. But as far as, I tell you, Al Michaels is the guy. If he's announcing it, I might tune in. He's mm. that good. I think Chris I, lo- I love him, way, too. He's spectacular as well. Yeah, he's one of my favorites as well. No, go ahead. Well, oh, no, no, I was, so I was just gonna, I was gonna echo that. Like, I, I love Al Michaels, but it, it's funny. So, y- you brought up the Eagles thing, Doug Peterson pulling Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. for Sudfeld. Um, I now, I, I, I get it that there were some Eagles players who were who were really angry about that, and I, I understand their perspective. But what I thought was a little funny, though, the amount of complaining that I saw from Giants players, current and former. And Giants fans about, oh, the Eagles screwed us over. They sabotaged our playoff run. They came off so whiny to me because, Frito, if Giants fans are, are complaining that much about the Eagles sabotaging their playoff run when they only won six games, look in the mirror. Like, like if you're so upset that, oh, if the Eagles had only – maybe they would have beaten Washington if they'd kept – Jalen Hurts in the game and then they oh they must uh one of the Giants players said oh the only explanation here is the Eagles hate us more than they hate Washington you know for for whatever reason Doug Peterson decided to make that move whether it was because he had promised Sudfeld some playing time or maybe he did want to screw over the Giants if that was his motive personally I don't think the Giants have any right to complain because if you want to be in the playoffs if you had done better than six wins you'd be in the playoffs I don't think you can blame the Eagles blame yourselves Okay, I, I should know this, and I don't, because you and I have worked together for a long time. Your favorite soccer team is? Uh, Inter Milan. What? Okay, Inter Milan. If Inter Milan had a chance to get in the playoffs, and they're watching the last game, and one of their rivals, you know, if, if similar situation. Let's say Inter was the Giants, and yep. they need Team A to beat Team B. And if the coach of Team A, say the last quarter of the game, puts in a goalie, 
who hasn't played in two years because he <laughs> wants to see him play. <laughs> and it costs Inter a chance to get into the playoffs, whatever the record is, you'd be throwing stuff at your TV. True or false? I mean, I, I guess, but but I could also say, how come we didn't do better? Like, if, if we were, you know, barely sure. going to sneak in or something, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I would have any right to complain. I, I think that they come off too whiny. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'd probably well, be mad. It, like, I see your point, but, but no, I mean, do better, were, Giants. Even, fair enough, but even Eagles players just wanted a chance to win. It didn't give them the best chance to win. They didn't feel getting Sudfeld in there at that time, even though Peterson had said, I'd like to see him get some playing time. Okay, we talk about, let's go, let's circle back around at the beginning of the show and Tua Tagovailoa, who mm-hmm. was removed when the team, again, because the team was in a playoff hunt, he was removed and Fitzpatrick came in out of the bullpen and, and was a reliever. Mm-hmm. If, and the Eagles weren't in it. They've had a very disappointing year. There was rumors that, that Peterson might lose his job. It looks like they're going to stick with him. Um, but that's a case where I would say, you know, what we're losing to a team that's winning, not a, maybe a great team by any means, but a better team than us. I want to see if Jalen Hurts can get us out of this jam. I would not put in Nate Sudfeld in that situation. Right. I've got a guy I'm developing his old started three or four games. He needs all the Carson Wentz wearing an Eagles uniform next year. He just won't. He, he, I keep reading, and I think Chris Mortensen reported that that Wentz Peterson relationship is fractured beyond repair. It cannot be fixed. Wentz will be on the training block. Um, Jalen Hurts is their quarterback going forward. Why not keep him in the game and get him experience? Okay, you're losing. It's the fourth quarter. Get us out of this jam and give him all the experience that you can. I think that was a huge mistake by Doug Peterson and a completely wrong move to get that guy in the game. No, I, I think I think you're right about that. Uh, r- real quick before we wrap up this segment, looking at the wild card round slate this weekend, okay. I, I got to tell you, I I I love the extra wild card game. You know, e- each conference added one team to the playoff picture, so there's seven from each conference. Right. One one fewer team gets a bye week, so only the one seed gets a bye. So you got three games on Saturday three games on Sunday on Saturday and the triple headers. I, I, I cannot wait. Cause I love the double headers in previous years. <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got Colts uh, at the bills on Saturday. That, that should be, that should be a bills win. Uh, you've got Rams at Seahawks 440 on set. That's a tougher one to predict. And and part of that is going to be. Well, Sean McVay is not going to say who's quarterback. Is. Yeah. He's not, he refuses to announce who's playing quarterback which is good gamesmanship. So you, you probably lean to the Seahawks there, but the Seahawks, I, I think, are, are not as good as people think they are. Uh, you've got Buccaneers. Uh, hope, just for, for the integrity of the NFL, I hope the Buccaneers win at Washington because the fact that a 7-9 and nine Washington football team, because of these stupid, archaic division winners rule, get to host a playoff game against the 11-5 and five Buccaneers, I hope that Washington gets smashed. Uh, you've got Ravens at Titans on Sunday, Bears at Saints, Browns at Steelers. W- what are the games, Frito, you're looking forward to most this weekend? Um, I like the Bears at Titans. I'm, I always like – I love seeing Derrick Henry. My guy, I, I, I'd be scared to death if I'm a safety and he's broken through the first line of defense and Derrick you know, Henry is running toward me. I'd be like, sir, the, the end zone is that way. I'm not <laughs> stopping that guy. <laughs> and, and Ryan Tannehill, I think at times his play just great. Um, I like, um, I want to see how Tom Brady does against the, uh, against Washington. 
Um, uh, by the way, a few years ago, Seattle was seven and nine, and they won a playoff game. I think again, it was against the Saints. They won a first yeah. round uh, playoff game. Real quick, go through the games on Saturday. Give me the games sure. real quick yeah, on it's, Saturday. Uh, it, it's Colts at Bills, and you know, the, the Bills the Bills should smash them. The Bills should win that pretty easily. They, they yeah. should they should win that really easily. Then you've got Rams at Seahawks. Then you've got Buccaneers at Washington. Seahawks have been playing four. Seahawks have not played nearly as well as they did earlier uh, in the season. Uh, and and the, I'm sorry, the last one was what? Uh, Buccaneers at Washington. Yeah, you know, um, I, I I can see what your point is about uh, just the fact that, by the way, that if Alex Smith is starting, I think he's one of the best stories in the NFL. So I root for a guy like that as much as I hate Washington because I love uh, I love Dallas and um, Bills. It was a Bill Saints. I, I, I mean, our Bear Saints. Yeah. Um, Trubisky's playing better since he got he came in. You know, he was benched. He's, he's playing better. Um, Saints still. I, I Saints are still a damn good team. I don't know how they uh, they keep doing it, but they keep doing it. And this might be Drew Brees' last campaign uh, with that squad. He. I don't know if next he's gonna be wearing a New Orleans uniform uh, next year. So. I, you know, it's, it's like Thanksgiving. It's a triple header both days. You know, yeah. think of it. That's how Thanksgiving yeah. is, is a triple header. Yeah, I think I, I think what I like you. Which games uh, do you want to see? Is that one, one or more? That really... Yeah, you know, um, this is, some of these on paper look pretty lopsided, but I, I've, I've actually, and, you know, I, I know that they should be one of my mortal enemies, but I, I've enjoyed watching the Bills this year, and I think the Bills are the real deal. I, I think there's a chance they might even – they might even win the AFC. I think they're that good. So I want to see how they look against the Colts. Uh, they're favored by six and a half points. You know, I, I obviously, as mentioned, I, I would love to see the Buccaneers smash Washington, even though Alex Smith is a good story, like you said. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Ravens Titans. You know, Ravens are actually a three and a half point favorite yeah. on the road at Tennessee, which is interesting. And, uh, you know, Bears Saints, I, I guess. I mean, I like watching New Orleans, but they, they should on paper win that game easily. They're favored by 10 points. That, that's the most lopsided number in these playoffs. So, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm going to enjoy these games. Obviously, the matchups are only going to get better, you know, the deeper that you get because you're going to trim some of the fat here on Wild Card Weekend. But, no, it, it should be really good. And, uh, and, and Frito, that's going to that's gonna about do it for us. But uh, you, you have any parting comments before we wrap okay. it up? No, it's just weird uh, to watch football now and not watch it from a fantasy football perspective. All of a sudden, that has to watch. Oh, congratulations, by the way. I meant to wish you. You finally won your league. Huge congratulations to you. I finally won the After 20 years of playing fantasy football, somewhere around there, I finally uh, I finally won. And, um, yeah, so it's a, that was a big monkey off my back. It was great. And someone said, how much money? It's not that much money. I think I won. I don't know, $300. The money is, to me, it's just, I finally won fantasy football. I'm so glad that was on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. I finally did it. Well, congratulations. He certainly had a better yeah. fantasy year than me. Well, we'll talk to everybody next week on another episode of Dono and Frito. Huge thanks to, to Larry Millian, to Frank the Tank for making this all yep. happen. For Frito, I'm Dono. We'll talk to you guys next week here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio.